following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, we're going to be looking this morning in Job chapter 28. Uh, just one chapter. I know after going through these big, you know, ten chapter sections, today we're only looking at one chapter. But uh, we're going to start by reading the first 11 verses, so if you want to follow along while I read Job chapter 28, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack the rest of the chapter as we go. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit the ore in the gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley, away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place... Oh, sorry, that's too far. Stop. Whoa, I got carried away. Um, we'll, we'll continue on. Uh, but that is actually the, the title of my sermon. Where shall wisdom be found? Where shall wisdom be found? Um, the book of Job, if you've been journeying with us or not, if you know anything about the book of Job, you know it's a book about suffering, about uh, what we do when we meet with hardships, struggles, difficulties, when bad things happen to us or around us. And uh, we, we all know from experience that it's just very natural when, when things don't go the way we want, when, when we struggle, when we suffer, to ask the question, why? Right? Why am I suffering? What, uh, what is the cause or reason for this? And, and we kind of have this sense or this need uh, that there must be some cause for our suffering. And we want, we want an explanation, right? And it's hard not to ask those questions. Um, and so in that sense, we oftentimes are like Job's friends uh, who, uh, when they looked at Job's suffering, they thought they knew the cause. They were convinced they knew the reason. And in their understanding of the world, uh, bad things happen because you did something wrong. And so they come to encourage Job by telling him, well, Job, clearly you're a sinner. You're guilty of something. Uh, that's why bad things happen. And so you just need to confess your sin to the gods and it's all going to work out. Um, it will fix it. It will stop the suffering and you can get all of your stuff back. But Job, of course, um, as he wrestles with this question, sees it very differently. And he is convinced of his own goodness and righteousness. He's convinced that he's done nothing deserving of all this suffering. Right? So, so that's really the, one of the big questions of the book. right? How do we make sense of the suffering and hardship when it comes into our life? Uh, when we encounter uh, a life that doesn't go the way we want and when there are problems. And uh, we come to chapter 28, and, and 
um, as we'll see in a minute, things did not go well. It hasn't ended well with Job and his friends in their debate, and uh, they're not coming up with good answers. And, and what's really needed here is wisdom, wisdom and understanding. Right? Job's friends need wisdom to understand what's going on. Job needs wisdom to find answers to his questions. Uh, and that's really largely what the book is about. And, and we would expect that because the book of Job is part of uh, a kind of literature called wisdom literature. Right? So when you go to the book of Job or the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, you know that the topic is going to be wisdom. So finally, after 27 chapters, wisdom finally comes on the scene. And, and uh, if you were hearing or reading this or watching this, as I said, maybe it's kind of like a play. Maybe they watched this actually acted out. And uh, they would expect wisdom to make some appearance, right? So 27 chapters along now, finally, wisdom makes this appearance in chapter 28. And so, as I said, the book is really laid out in many ways like a stage play, uh, like a drama, and so, and we don't know, maybe it was actually played out on a stage. And, and if, it, if it did, whether or not, you could kind of imagine uh, the first 27 chapters are Act 1. Many scenes, but, but really comprise Act 1 of this basically two-act or maybe three-act play, however you want to divide it up. And so scene 1, uh, we see Satan and uh, the challenger in heaven challenging the way God operates the world. And he challenges the, the fact that God blesses people when they do good. And he says, you're just buying people's obedience, right? They're not really interested in, in goodness or in rightness. They just know that's how they can manipulate you to get what they want. Um, so God uh, withdraws his hand of protection from Job and all these terrible things happen. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of this heavenly scene ends and the curtain comes down and then it opens back up again and now the scene is on earth. And you see this uh, these next basically three scenes with Job and his friends having this ongoing debate about why he's suffering. And uh, as I said, the friends are sure that it's because Job's done something terrible and that if he will just confess, everything will go back to normal. He'll just admit his mistake. But Job holds on to his integrity and it, it becomes clear that Job is concerned about doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Job is not interested in its benefits. What he's interested in is being justified as a person who does right. right? So in the end, uh, Job defeats his friends, but he also silences the, the charge of this challenger in heaven that it actually is possible for human beings to do right because it's right, to care about good for the sake of good and not just for uh, selfish gain. So then the curtain falls at the end of Act 1. And Job and his friends uh, exit the stage. Uh, the curtain comes down. And um, while the stage is closed, there's kind of a, an intermission, if you will. There's kind of a break in the action. And out onto the stage walks the narrator. And he's holding this large scroll. And he reads uh, what for us is chapter 28. right? And he's, he's describing, he's introducing wisdom. He's helping us ponder about what we just saw in, in Act 1. And he's preparing us for what's going to come in Act 2. And so uh, if, we're, if we're reading this as wisdom literature, we're kind of excited because finally wisdom showed up. Some, something, someone who's going to make sense of all this, right? Wisdom's going to come and wisdom is going to save the day. And it's going to solve this riddle, right? So we get really excited when, when wisdom is introduced, right? Um, uh, and and uh, we, we see that this... 
this retribution principle, this idea of merit, right, is it doesn't work, right? The Job's friend's idea that if you do good, you get good um, is always true. And if you receive something bad in life, it's proof that you did something wrong, that you're a bad person, that you've sinned, right? But this whole thing breaks down, right? It's breaking down. It doesn't work. It doesn't reflect reality. It's an oversimplistic view of the world. And, uh, and Job proves that there's a lot of wicked people who actually are quite prosperous, and, and that he's making a case that he's a just person, a right person, a good person who has suffered, right? So the question comes, where will Job and his friends find this wisdom? And that's the question for us, right? Where are we going to find this wisdom that's going to answer this riddle, that's going to help us understand our suffering and hardship and pain? Where can we go to search for it, right? And the uh, passage begins uh, with this, this picture or this description of a mining operation. This might seem a little weird, right? Uh, all the suffering, and all of a sudden, the narrator starts talking about how the, the ingenuity and the technology and, and genius of mankind that we can dig deep into the earth and we can extract gold and sapphires and precious stones, right? And the description of this is pretty interesting, and it kind of, you know, it's very likely that the, the book of Job was written, or at least the story dates back to the time of Abraham or before. So we're talking a couple thousand years before Christ. A long time ago, 4,000 years ago. And it's interesting to see the technology that they had available, that they could sink these shafts deep into the earth. And even back then, they could extract all kinds of ore and iron and, and jewels, right? And these pictures of swinging to and fro, being lowered down into these big caverns underground and swinging by ropes and, and uh, searching out uh, these treasures. And it even talks about, uh, which I think is pretty fascinating, it talks about damming up the rivers. And if you've ever explored or done much uh, and know about mines, one of the great challenges of mines is that they fill up with water, right? And uh, you can dig a hole pretty deep in the ground, but quickly it starts filling up with water. And if you don't deal with water, uh, your, your mind just becomes a swimming, swimming pool, a really deep swimming pool. Uh, but they, he talks about the, the, the ingenuity that they had, the technology to deal with all of that, so that they could plunge these depths and search out these great depths. And, and the great conclusion that they make is that uh, in the end, uh, in, in in verse uh, 11, he dams up the stream so they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. That's a key verse in this, right? The things that are hidden, he brings out to, to light. And that's really uh, explains a lot about our, our mankind, right? We've gotten really good at exploring the depths to bring the hidden things to light. And unlike the birds and the beasts, birds have really good vision, right? They... Uh, the eagles and the hawks can see things far, far away. So he talks about how they've got this great eyesight, but they can't see what's underground, right? And he talks about the lions, and the lions can go wherever they want, right? Well, especially in those days. Maybe in our days we've got a little better job of containing them. But back in that time, they couldn't, they couldn't contain the wild animals, so they could go wherever they want. But could the lions go to the depths uh, below the surface of the earth? Well, no, they can't. Only... Mankind has this kind of ingenuity and genius. And so he paints this amazing picture of, of uh, discovery and ex- exploration and making great discoveries in this unseen world and bringing the hidden things to light. 
Um, and the truth is, we, we still have the same ingenuity. We as, as people, as a, as a race, have not stopped exploring. Right? We still are plunging the depths uh, to bring hidden things to light. Right? Uh, we plunged into the depths of living cells and molecules and even atoms, even subatomic particles. Right? We've developed technology to penetrate deep into those things, to understand and to bring uh, to light those hidden worlds. Um, we're also exploring at the other extreme the deep and vast reaches of space. And you just go online and it's amazing the images from uh, like the, uh, the new Webb telescope. Uh, incredible sites of galaxies and in, in whole regions of galaxies. Just amazing. Amazing. Right? And we're gaining more and more understanding and we're bringing these great things into light. Right? Things that a uh, hundred years ago even, would have been unthinkable. But, right, but we're, we're continuing to explore and dig ever deeper. Uh, we're going into the deepest depths of the ocean and finding these crazy species of fish and other living organisms that live way down uh, at depths where the water pressure would crush a human being t- to a pancake. And there's stuff living down there. It's amazing, right? Amazing. And they glow in the dark and they look really freaky like something out of a horror movie, right? But they... We're exploring, we're finding these things, we're bringing these treasures to the surface. Right? And even, even digging into things like the mysteries of the human psyche and mind right? that we've explored and, and are searching out. Right? So constantly, we are bringing hidden things to light. We've gotten good at this. Right? We are, in a sense, you could say this is, this is a lot of what humanity does. We search out those hidden things and we bring them to light. So... Wisdom can't be that hard to find, right? If we can look into the far reaches of space and into the very subatomic particles that make up uh, the nucleus of an atom, surely we can find wisdom, right? Amen. Let's go find that wisdom. Where is it? Where is it hiding? Let's show our great intellect and intelligence and ingenuity. Surely we can find wisdom. But notice what it says in verse 22. I'm mean, sorry, verse 12, verse 12 through 22. But where shall we, uh, I'm sorry, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from even the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard of it. We've heard rumor of it with our ears, but we don't know where it is. Wow. So, so here's the thing. If you want to dig for gold, you've got to know where to dig, right? If you want to search for uh, Fish who live in the deepest parts of the ocean, you need to know where the deepest parts of the ocean are. 
If you want to go find out if there's oxygen or water on Mars, you need to go dig on Mars, right? So where do you go digging for wisdom? That's the problem, right? We don't know where it lives. We don't know where to search for it. We don't know its place, right? Uh, we can look, but we, we can only look if we know where to start our search. But uh, where do you start digging for wisdom? Well, he says, short answer, it is not found in the land of the living. Right? Not on the surface of the earth, not below the surface of the earth, not in the tiniest subatomic particles of an atom, not in the far reaches of space. Right? There's no web telescope or any other kind of telescope that can look so far into space that it's going to find, oh, there's wisdom just beyond that galaxy. It was hiding behind that galaxy. No, right? Wisdom cannot be found. It's not in the land of the living. Uh, a verse uh, later, he says, even Abaddon and death say, we've only heard rumors of it. In other words, even in the next life, wisdom cannot be found there in the grave. All right? Uh, well, you, you may say, okay, well, okay, we don't know where to dig for it, but, but sir, surely if we have enough resources, we can conduct some kind of research experiment and we can find it, Right? It just takes money. Right? If we want to go to the moon and we want to build a massive rocket, we just need Elon Musk to, to fund it right? and build the massive rocket, which he's doing, uh, which made it four minutes into space and blew up. Um, uh, what they called, I forget the term for it, a planned disassembly. <laughs> planned rapid, rapid disassembly. In other words, we did that on purpose, right? Um, Surely if we have enough money, we can buy wisdom. We can just purchase it. We can, we can find it on Lazada. We just need to know how to pay for it, right? Because it's expensive. But he says the same thing. He says there's, there's no price, right? There's no price for wisdom. We don't even know what it's worth, right? And there's no, there's no on, it's not even on Amazon. Like, like, how is that possible? Everything is on Amazon. But he says no. Right? It's not a matter of it's not a matter of knowing where to dig. It's not a matter of having enough wealth. Wisdom is beyond that. And he says the the painful reality is says it is hidden from us. It is hidden from us. Right? Um, it it is concealed from our view, and it is something that is hidden that we will never bring out to light. We will never bring it out to light. The understanding that can fully explain how everything works, that can make sense of suffering and justice in the world, is absolutely not attainable by any human effort. Right? Uh, there's, no, there's, there's, there's no amount of human ingenuity that will make the quest for wisdom successful. So that's discouraging. That's really discouraging. And this makes this really not a fun sermon to preach, Right? And it's like, well, that's just dumb. We all want answers for our suffering, and I have to get up here and say, sorry, there are none. Okay, let's pray and take communion and go home, right? Well, that's just lame, right? Um, well, thankfully, there is a little bit more hope than that. Um, but it is important to, to just stop there and reflect a little bit and realize that um, the, the answers that Job was looking for the explanations that his friends wanted, um, the answers sometimes that we want, 
the truth is sometimes we will never get them. Right? We will never get them. Maybe not even in eternity. Maybe. I don't know. But in this life, there are going to be a lot of things about life and existence and our suffering that just have no answers. Right? And, uh, and that, that can be discouraging. But thankfully, it doesn't stop here. And there is, there is hope. Um, and in verse 12, uh, he re, uh, the, the narrator re-asks the question. So no, notice the difference. In verse 12, he says, where can wisdom be found? Right? In other words, let's look for the place where we can dig. Right? But in verse 20, he changes the question a little bit. He says, where does wisdom come from? Where does wisdom come from? In other words, what is the source of wisdom? If we don't know its place in time and space, can we at least go to the place where it comes from, to its source? And of course, every, every kid in Sunday school, if we were to ask, well, what is the source of wisdom? What would be the answer? Jesus, God, the Bible. One of those, right? The three classic Sunday school answers. Jesus, God, the Bible. Okay, who got that one, right? Yes, he is the source of wisdom, right? And so uh, chapter 23 through 27 says, God understands the way to it. Wow, praise God, there is, there is hope, right? He knows his place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of, of the thunder... Then he saw it, that is wisdom, and declared wisdom, and he established wisdom, and he examined or searched out wisdom. Um, so, so he says there's, there's hope that wisdom is not so elusive that nobody knows. It has a source, and its source is in God. God is the author and fountain of wisdom. Uh, he is infinitely wise, right? And, and he um, is its ultimate source. Uh, but that's a problem for us because God exists beyond the universe. He is transcendent. He lives outside of it. So he uses this language that God uh, sees the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. Why? Not because he has a really good telescope. Like, not because he's got a better telescope than the James Webb telescope that we just launched, right? No, it's because he's outside of it all. And he sees the whole universe in, from, from the smallest molecule to the greatest supercluster. Uh, right in galaxy, he sees it all, and he not only sees it all from the smallest to the biggest all at one time, but he sees uh, the, from, from the beginning to the end. For God is compressed, right? He doesn't just see things as they happen sequentially, moment after moment. He sees the whole thing from beginning to end. He sees it all, right? And he, he, he therefore has a perspective on the universe and on life and on all that it means that's way beyond our finite brains, right? I don't know if you've ever tried this, but, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about space, uh, they measure everything in light years, right? So a light year is how far it takes for light to go uh, a distance in, in a year. And as it turns out, it goes a long way in one year, like a really long way. Um, but have you ever tried to wrap your mind about what this looks like? Like you look at these pictures on the Internet of these galaxies, and they say, well, that galaxy from one side to the other is 25 million light years. Like, can you really get a grasp of that? It's like, no, it's not. It's only this. It's two inches. It's on my computer screen. It's two inches. Right? No, that's, that's light traveling millions of years. Right? Do you have any idea? 
Can we wrap our heads around that, right? No. Or you go to the other extreme, down to these subatomic particles. When they talk about the space inside a nucleus, the empty space inside of a nucleus. It's like, well, how could something that tiny have empty space, right? But it's got vast empty space in comparison to the elements that are in it. And these things are mind-boggling, right? Uh, We can search a lot of things, but there are things that are way beyond the limits of our brain and our brain power. And yet God, uh, God sees all this, and he has an understanding and a knowledge about it that's, uh, that's perfect, right? that's complete. right? And so he talks about how this wisdom is, uh, was actually woven into the very fabric of creation when God made the universe. Right? So God's Bible says in Genesis 1 that God spoke the world into existence from nothing. Right? He just spoke it, and all of a sudden, boom, there's the whole thing. And however it all unfolded and unpacked, uh, we're still trying to figure out. But God spoke it into being. And it says during that time, and he gives an example. This isn't the whole picture, but he gives one illustration of how this worked, right? He says, when he gave to the wind its weight and the portion of the waters by measure, right? when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning and the thunder, then he saw wisdom and declared it. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about God's great creative acts, right? Um, now, the cool thing is, in, in Job's day, they, they would have thought, if you said you can weigh the wind, they would have said, well, that's, that's dumb. You can't weigh the wind. But actually, we're smart, right? We're, we're, we're those explorers, and we can weigh the wind. Did you know that? And, and it's, we, we call it barometric pressure, right? And we figured out that actually some air is heavier and some air is lighter. And when really heavy air gets next to really light air, uh, it, it, it flows from the heavy to the light, right? It's like filling a hole. And it causes what? Wind, right? Wind. Or if, if, uh, if really cold air comes up against really hot air, what happens, right? What happens to cold? It sinks, right? A, couple, a month or so ago, we had to cancel church because that's exactly what happened. Cold air hit a bunch of hot air, and it fell so fast it knocked over huge power poles. Right? We had to cancel church. Why did God let that happen? I don't know. Right? I don't know. And if we, went, if we went the answer today, if we went, God, why, last month, why did we have to cancel church? Why did you do that to us? <laughs> why did you send lightning and thunder? Right? Uh, well, God's answer is this. The, the wisdom of that is found not what happened on that day, but in the way he ordered creation. Right? In the way he ordered creation. He made a world that functions this way. Right? Where the wind blows and where thunder comes and there's lightning and there's gravity and there's the physical laws of the universe. And God created the, all of that stuff with wisdom. Right? In, in his decisions of how he arranged and ordered the laws that that run the cosmos, that run the universe, right? So a month ago when, when the power went out, was God picking on us? Well, it feels like it. Like we've been going through COVID for months with no church, and all of a sudden now we've got to cancel church again. God, why are you picking on us? Why couldn't this happen on Monday, right, instead of Sunday? Right, God, you're picking on us. It's easy to take it personal. But is it really personal, Right? Or is this just the way the universe works, right? That 
the, the, there are these forces of, of wind and gravity and the, these forces at work, and, and that somehow God created th- this universe with wisdom. He has a plan. He, he's smart, right? And there's wisdom in how he put it together. Um, and, and this is really an important and critical point in the book of Job, right? Uh, and the point is this, that the, the world operates on the principle of wisdom, not justice, Okay? The world is governed and run. The laws of nature and and the forces of the universe operate on the principle of wisdom, not justice. Now, uh, if you've been with us talking about Job and his friends, Job and his friends do not believe it works this way, right? They are convinced that God ordered the universe on the principle of justice. And for them, that gets worked out in the merit system, right? If I do good things, if I am a good person, then the, the universe owes me benefit, owes me protection, owes me blessing. And of course, they didn't think it in terms of physical laws of nature. They thought it in terms of God, who controlled it all, they thought, who, who, uh, who owed them, right? And, and, and this, is, uh, this really becomes a very superficial kind of justice. This is not actually real justice. This is what I would call vending machine, vending machine justice. Right? You know how a vending machine works? You know, there's like Pepsi, Coke, whatever you want to drink in this machine, in this big box, and you take out your coins, and if you put in the right number of coins and you push the button, uh, justice demands that it give you your Coke or your Pepsi or whatever you want to drink, right? It's like, it's like, it's like it owes me because I did my thing, and it owes me uh, because I paid the price for it. Right? And Job's friends thought all of life should work this way. Right? That I should be able to do my part and I can demand that God give me what I want. Like a, like a vending machine. I just put in my coins and poof, out comes what I want. And if, if what I want doesn't come out, it means I didn't put in the right change. Right? I made a mistake. I messed up. Right? I did something wrong. And that's why it's not working. But that's a very shallow and superficial view of, of, of justice. And the truth is, would we really want the universe to operate this way? Right? Would you really want the laws of nature to work on the basis of justice? You get up in the morning and you make your cup of coffee and you know, something goes wrong and you think, oh, this is going to, I'm just going to be mad. Maybe your wife says something to your husband and you reply back with this angry word because you're not awake yet, right? Take a sip of that coffee and it's turned into mud, right? Because you got what you deserved, right? You were angry and your coffee's no longer good anymore. It turned into mud, right? Maybe your coffee tastes like mud and so that's okay. I don't know, but, right? Would you want the world to work that way? You're walking down the street and you're, you know, somebody asks you a question and you lie. Boom, right then a branch falls off a tree and hits you on the head. Boom. <laughs> right? Is that how we want the world to work? Right? Could, 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 could it actually function this way? If everything, every law of, of the universe was based on justice. Right? You know, we would like it to work this way if we do a good deed and go buy a lottery chicken and win every time. Right? I just gave my money to feed a poor person. I'm going to go play the lottery ticket. Yeah, I won. See, it works. Right? That's how we want it. But, but is this really how the universe could work? 
right? God, in his wisdom, set up natural forces um, that operate, actually, irregardless of what we do. And I'm kind of thankful for that. Like, I'm glad gravity works all the time, whether or not I'm a jerk or not, right? Because um, you know what would happen if gravity didn't work, right? Uh, if we, we could just float off into space, like, you know, the little kid who lets go of that helium balloon and it goes, it just gets to, can you imagine if that was our children? Oh, I forgot to tie my child down. Hey, he's going up into space. <laughs> right? No, we're glad that gravity works. We're glad that it keeps us stuck to the ground, right? But if you fall off a cliff, that same gravity can cause a lot of problem. It can cause death, right? Right? Does that mean gravity's picking on you? Right? Does that mean gravity hates you? Does that mean gravity is being unjust because um, you, know, you fall off a cliff and, and what keeps you anchored to the ground all of a sudden accelerates you toward the ground way faster than you want it to? Right? Um, see, God created this world with wisdom and, and it operates according to these laws that are, are ultimately wise. Right? Um, the wind and the rain, are these forces of nature... Uh, have potential for great benefit and great harm. Uh, and there's some wisdom in how this works. Now, can we understand this wisdom? Well, no, not completely. Like, why didn't God make people with bubble wrap? Right? So that when, when gravity gets carried away, we bounce. You know, I don't know why, right? Why did he... So here's the big question, Really? Why, when God created the world, he made it good, he created everything good, he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said it was all good. Why did he put in the garden an option for sin? Why did he put in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and say, don't eat of that tree? Why? I don't know, right? But but, but the, the narrator would tell us here that there's wisdom in it. Right? There's wisdom, and it's a wisdom we can't understand or know. Right? It's beyond us. Uh, and, and the truth is, we don't like this. Right? We don't like this. And, I'll, and I'm the first to admit it. I really don't like this. I want to know the answers. God, I want you to explain to me how this works and why. Um, but why is it we want the answer? Is it because we're just really curious? Well, we are curious, and that may be part of it. But that, I think, ultimately is not really... What's going on here? Why do we really want answers? Well, I believe it's because we want to be in control. Right? We want control. We want control over our life. And ultimately, we want control over God. And you see, that's what Job's friends, that's why they clung so fiercely to this idea of merit, this idea of justice. Because in their mind, it was a way they could control God. Look, God, I've done, I've done these three things, just like you said, so you owe me. We can demand that God does what we want. We can control him. Right? Uh, we don't like the sense that God's in control and we're not. <laughs> we're not comfortable with that. Because how do we know God is, is wise? How do we know he is good? How do we know he's not going to mess with our lives? Right? And when things go bad and we suffer, we feel like God is messing with our life. Right? And we want control. 
Right? We want this system where we know, God, I did my part, you owe me. Because we want to control him. Uh, and that's definitely what was going on with Job's friends. And to some extent, even with Job, right? Uh, although Job, as we'll see, he, he has more wisdom, right? He gets that this doesn't really explain how life works, right? So are there no answers then? I mean, like, if we're suffering, is there no comfort? Is there, do we just say, well, you're just, you're just being a baby and you're just trying to get control, just give it up, right? Is that, is that what God would say to us? Well, thankfully, no, right? There is some hope. Right? And there is actually a path towards wisdom. Now, not a wisdom that we're going to understand everything. Right? There's, there's no magic pill that's going to make us so smart and so wise that we can comprehend uh, God's operation in the universe through all of time and space. Right? That's not going to happen. But there is a path toward wisdom. And it's found in verse 28. And, and, and he said to man, that is God, said to man... Behold, look, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. Um, We cannot find wisdom on our own, but God, who is the source of wisdom, has given us a path to explore and move into wisdom, and that path is to fear him. What is the fear of the Lord? Uh, Well, I think maybe the best definition I can think of or that I've read is that fearing the Lord means to take him seriously. It doesn't mean to be afraid of him. Uh, Although there may be cause for that if you're sinning and he's promised judgment and wrath on us. But um, for those who actually fear God, there's the promise that we escape his wrath. Because we walk in wisdom, right, and we can know him in a different way. Uh, but, but fear always means taking him seriously. Uh, one, one author, uh, John Walton, in his commentary says, Fearing the Lord means taking him as seriously as opposed to thinking him detached, therefore to be ignored. Right? So God doesn't care, he's not interested, so we can just ignore him. Uh, we take him seriously rather than thinking him incompetent. Therefore, we can disdain or look down on him. Uh, we take him seriously rather than thinking him limited or powerless, right? and thereby scorning him. We take him seriously rather than thinking him corrupt, uh, and therefore to be instructed or rebuked. Right? Uh, we take him seriously rather than think him short-sighted, therefore we need to give him advice. <laughs> God, let me tell you how, how you should really be running the universe, because clearly you have no clue. Um, finally, we take him seriously as opposed to thinking him petty or small, and therefore to be resented. Right? Do we take God seriously? Right? Do we really take God seriously? Uh, if we're taking him seriously, we will have a sense of awe, respect, and deep reverence for him. As a God who is powerful, mighty, awesome, wonderful, beautiful, glorious, wise, loving, and good. Right? All of those attributes and characters, uh, characteristics of God. Right? Um, he says literally we should we are to fear the Lord. And it's interesting in this text, it's not the word Yahweh, which would be expected, but it's actually the word Adonai. 
and uh, one possibility is that Adonai has the idea of Lord or Master. Fearing God means letting God be God, right? Letting Him rule and let Him be in charge. Not explaining to Him how He should run our life in the universe. Letting Him be God. Uh, in that sense, uh, fear of the Lord is a matter of trust and faith. Right? It's trusting that He is awesome and good and loving and that He is wise. That He really does know what He's doing, even if we don't understand it. Um, that in the end, uh, if wisdom, I don't, did I define wisdom yet? I may have missed this part. What is wisdom? It's a good place. We shouldn't forget that one. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing what to do for the ultimate good. Wisdom is not about intellect or intelligence or brain power. Wisdom is knowing what is the best course of action to bring about the ultimate good. Right? God, in creating the world and in unfolding its whole plan and purpose, is absolutely working for the ultimate good. Right? Um, and so, they, so, 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 so fear, fearing God is to let him be God, trusting in his wisdom that he's acting for our ultimate good. Uh, also, it is turning away from evil, uh, just as Job has done. And, and in this, Job is on the right path toward wisdom. And we'll see by the end of the book, he, he gets there, right? It takes him a while. Maybe it takes us longer. I don't know. He gets there. Why? Because he does fear the Lord. And he, he is turning away from evil. He is trying to do the right thing just because it's the right thing, not for gain or benefit. Right? Um, and here's the truth. Wisdom, right? knowing the right thing to do to bring about the ultimate good, doing right for its own sake, will not always bring about justice, right? especially in a fallen, broken world. Um, how many cases have you heard of of people who uh, you know, worked for a boss who was stealing from the company. And when he reported his boss illegal and corrupt behavior, instead of being rewarded, they got fired. Right? That happens all the time. Right? They did the right thing. Did it result in justice? No. It actually resulted in injustice. But was it right for them to do that? Yes, in the, in the long term, in the big picture, absolutely. Even though in the short term it didn't work out. Right? It's always right to do the right thing. That's what wisdom says, right? Wisdom says, do what's right and good because that's the ultimate good that's moving towards the greater good for all time, uh, regardless of its consequences here and now. Uh, many places in the world right now, if you, if you stand up for Christ, it can cost you your job. It could cost you your house. It could cost you your life. Is it the right thing to do? Is it the ultimate good to follow Christ anyway? I think scripture would say absolutely yes, even though it may increase suffering and hardship. It is still the greater good. So ultimately, fearing God means to worship God and consider him worthy of our trust and devotion, turning away from evil because we turn to God and his goodness. Uh, Let's close with this thought. That that certainly is easier said than done, right? Right. especially when we're suffering, right? It's, we want answers, right? And it's hard to say, well, I just need to fear God. I just need to trust in his wisdom. So there's some things we can do to help us, right? To grow into this path of wisdom. 
to really grow into living out what's, what Paul wrote in Romans 8.28. Right? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right? That doesn't mean everything is good. No, that's not what he says. He says all things work together for good. In other words, God will work out his perfect good purpose and plan in your life in spite of and in the midst of every horrible thing that happens to you. Right? For those who are called according to his good purpose. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. No matter how bad it might seem right now. We know that God will work out his good purpose in the end. His ultimate good for us, right? But that doesn't mean that we may not have a lot of doubts about God and his goodness and his wisdom in the midst of suffering. So what can we do if we just are honest and say, God, I don't know. I, can't, I don't know if I can trust you as being good. I don't know if right now I can trust in your wisdom. What do we do? Right? How can we fix that? Well, let me give you quickly four brief things. We don't have time to go into it, but real quick. First, just take a deep look at the wonder of creation itself. Right? Just take time to explore the wonder and beauty of a flower. Right? Um, when God made the world, did he make it good? Well, you look at a beautiful sunset. You look at the, the clouds on a beautiful day. You, you hear the thunder and lightning and the power shaking the earth. Uh, you look at the beauty of a flower. You look at people. Right? Did, was God at least smart when he created the universe? Unbelievably so, right? I mean, if nothing else, we have to say that God's genius. <laughs> like, we still can't even figure out half of what he did. Like, he's genius, right? So we're not dealing with a God who's like, you know, got mental deficiencies, right? He's really smart, right? Could it be that he's also wise? I think we can see signs of that in creation. Secondly, um, also be aware of the fact that the Bible tells us that creation's been ruined. Why was it ruined? Well, because we, uh, in Adam, chose sin. And sin has brought a curse and judgment on all of creation. So God created it good, but it is not, it's not in, the, in its original state. It is broken. It is fallen. It is messed up. Right? And so a lot of the suffering that comes into our life is because the world is messed up. Because people sin. And God, in his wisdom, and again, I don't know why, but he's given people freedom to rebel against him and do horrible things to each other. Right? Uh, he has not made us puppets. He has given us choice. And we have mostly chosen badly. And yes, there are consequences to those choices. Right? And sometimes they're terrible. Third thing, uh, in the midst of all that, uh, through scripture and through our own experience, see the kindness of God as he deals with this broken world. And, and the best example of this, it's, it's a long story, but read the Old Testament and see how God dealt with Israel. Stubborn, sinful, hateful, worshipped other gods, did the most ridiculous, stupid things, 
And God is constantly patient and kind with them. Praise God, he doesn't work totally on the system of justice. Right? Um, they wouldn't have made it 10 yards outside of Egypt. Right? They would have wiped them out. But God is patient and kind even with this broken world. So we need to see his kindness and mercy and grace that so often he does not give actually the justice that we deserve. Right? Because he is kind. He is compassionate. He's good. Right? Lastly, uh, I think we need to see the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of the cross. This is the most amazing thing that we should never lose sight of. Is that uh, God, from the beginning to the end, saw the world he would create. He knew what would happen when people sinned. He knew the ruin and destruction we would bring to it. But God decided and chose in his wisdom to redeem it. And how did he redeem it? Well, the only way possible was by sending his own son, by coming in, in the weakness and brokenness of human flesh, and for God himself to suffer with us and for us. Right? When God uh, looks at your suffering, he knows what suffering is because he joined in our suffering on the cross. And not just a little bit. Like it wasn't just like he said, okay, let me experience a migraine and we'll call it good. <laughs> no. Terrible suffering. In fact, you could argue that he experienced the most extreme degree of suffering possible, humanly speaking. Right? He took the full extent of suffering on the cross uh, because he loved it and he wants to redeem it. Right? So, so God is not detached from suffering. Right? He fully entered into it to save you and I from suffering, to redeem our suffering, to work out his wise plan from the beginning of the ages. Right? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? It, is, it is the wisdom of God, he says. Right? The wisdom of the cross. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.